Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The award-winning crunch time. The enemy is the clock, the half forward. The desperation, the lunge, it gets its toad forward. But as they have all night, the Tigers have got the right players in the right place. They take the mark and they're off to another grand final. They have won the pandemic preliminary final to remember. I think we've got two really good sides that are going to go at it. And whoever's uh, system stands up the longest will obviously come away with the, the thing in front of us. But uh, I think from an overall perspective, I think it's going to be a great game of footy. You know, we're two pretty good sides. have been playing a great band of footy for a long period of time. And, you know, they've been a, a yardstick along with our football club for, you know, a number of years. And well, I think it's about time we play off in the grand final. So I'm looking forward to it. Richmond eyes its place as one of the great teams of the age. A third premiership in four years calls to Damien Hardwick's men to complete the Tiger dynasty. As the siren rings out at the Gabba, the Cats have stared down the challenge of the Lions at home. And nine years on, Chris Scott's men are going back to the decider. I guess in the back of our mind, um, it's been really clear that Richmond have been the best team and, and if, if you're going to win a premiership, you're more than likely going to have to beat them. So it, we're aware that our system was always going to have to stand up against them and we've got a degree of confidence that that's the case, but the execution piece is so much harder. Chris Scott and Joel Selwood lead Geelong back to the grand final with sentiment riding heavily in the forms of Gary Ablett for the last time and Patrick Dangerfield for the first. Your president has a chat to you and he says, I've fought for you. The CEO said to him that he felt as though I would sabotage the trade and draft period. That probably hurt me the most. Oh, look, it was disappointment. I mean, we probably felt this might have been where it was heading. And I still think it's probably more restructure than rebuild. When players move, the clubs that they leave generally do OK out of it as well. So. I don't believe free agency is distorting the competition. Our first priority has always been the well-being of Reese and his family, and our thoughts go out to, to Reese. He's been a fantastic servant for us. And while the focus has been displaced, the debate has been relentless. What will the legacy of this unique season be? What is the path for North Melbourne? And is free agency skewing equality? It's all ahead on the grand final edition of Crunch Time. The anticipation is familiar, the circumstances are not. This is indeed a unique grand final day. Leading to tonight, the first decider under lights, the first decider played outside Victoria and the culmination of a season that could never have been envisaged. For crunch time is for Cleanaway, Stockdale and Lego and McDonald's. Jared Waitley with you. We're many hours out from the opening bounces, it turns out. Usually we're at the ground and it's all swirling around us. You want your best lineup come grand final day. It's it's not unknown that you would have a debutante on grand final day these days. For the first time to crunch time, 
Welcome, Gary Lyon. Marlon Pickett. Call him, <laughs> just call him Marlon. A long-time listener, first-time contributor. Uh, lovely to be here. It is strange and unusual and different, isn't it? I couldn't help but watch the press conferences yesterday, um, which I think is some of the great pre-grand final moments when the captains and the coaches get up on the stadium, wherever it is. Uh, is it Federation Square these days? I don't know where they are. Well, it's it's gone. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. The so heaving crowds and they all hold the – and they go nuts. And this was the four of them at a pub with some empty barrels sitting out the back and not a person inside. <laughs> it was so funny. When that pans out of the cup, there are the two captains. In the backdrop, there's an empty lot and grey skies. <laughs> so that's when you really knew. But I have this great sense of anticipation this morning about this grand final. I, I honestly, and I know I've said it on a couple of other big finals, Collingwood and Geelong most noticed, we couldn't have been wrong, more wrong, but I think this is going to be a great one. I am excited about this game. Everyone feels the pressure in, in a unique way for Gary Ablett. It's different to Dustin Martin. It's different to Paddy Dangerfield. I just wonder... What sort of pressure are you feeling around the pants that you're wearing on Fox tonight? You got a heads up for us, guys? <laughs> so, unbeknown to me, Sportsbed put up a market about the colour of my pants, which I've never heard anything like it in my <laughs> life. But I, I, it started yesterday morning on radio getting these random messages from our listening audience, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I did a lunch yesterday, ran into Nathan Brown from Sportsbed, who said he did it as a bit of a Mickey take. And then my phone was going crazy and I had enough of it. And then my sons kept badgering me and badgering me. And I'm thinking, no, this will be a scandal. If they go and launch on a particular colour, it'll be on the front page. And But I did suggest that I'd be just wearing something. And then 10 minutes later, the market... <laughs> unsurprisingly, was taken down. So there was an avalanche of money on blue jeans. An avalanche of money. Don't blame me. I don't know the legalities of any of this. Someone said, what are you wearing tomorrow? I said, I don't know, this, this and this. And then there was a savage run to the phones. So funny. Uh, anyway, there it is. The uh, stupidity. Part. Everything that's tied into grand final week. Hey, well, and not stupidity. Congratulations to you, Jared Waitley. Um, uh, the third time Elf Brown winner, which is the, the most prestigious award we can have in our media world, and you've done it again, and you won most everything else. As I say good morning to Sam Edmund, because I can't keep praising him on my own. You join in. I couldn't be a more celebrated company with you both, but you're right. He vacuumed up the whole thing anyway, so we shouldn't stop at the Elf Brown, but a, a worthy winner. And, and the pants, I mean, how 2020 is the how pants? 2020. How 2020s. And driving in here, I'll tell you what, we're probably lucky the grand final isn't down here today. I'm not sacrilegious oh, to say, but I needed Moses to part the Red Sea to get the car, the vehicle in here. It was, the hosing. roads are underwater. Yeah. Hosing down here. And it makes me think of uh, the scene up north today. I mean, they'd be pushing refresh on the weather app every five <laughs> seconds up there, and we hope we get a dry one. One to six mils of rain, chance of a storm. Chance of a storm sits rather heavily. Kane Corns is in the heart of the football world. He is in Brisbane. Kane, welcome to Crunch Time. Hello, Jared, and congratulations to you. I echo everything Gary and Sam just said. An unbelievable year from yourself and, and the whole crew, it must be said. And we're finally here. We're getting towards the finish line where some of us, and, and probably most of us, had doubts at some point throughout the year. So the AFL has done a remarkable job. I I am here. I'm broadcasting from the, the SEN um, Queensland studio up here, which, which is which is great, to be honest. But I, I do like to broadcast with honesty, as you know, and I'll try and give you a feel for mm -hmm. here we go. what's happening up here, <laughs> um, Gary. And there's nothing happening. So I, 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 I'm, I was there last night, and I want to get to that in a second. I want to um, tell you what the spectacle is going to look like. But there is... No grand final buzz. I mean, there is none. I'm just, I'm just telling you as I'm. Listen, I'm have you ever been there for a Gabba test? 
Uh, no. But they don't go early. They just like to right, build okay. up into that first ball. So well, just... that gives me confidence. <laughs> that gives me a lot of confidence um, because the lady when I checked in yesterday, as I said on the radio, didn't actually know where the Gabba was. Mm. So they, they, That's they, a concern. They, they, but, but I was there last night, as I said, for, for Channel 9, and what I will say is that they are going to put on a spectacular show because they were going through the, the light process and the pre-match entertainment, not... Not a full dress rehearsal, but what visually it's going to look like. It is going to look like something we have never seen before in the AFL world. And I think, you know, for those of you listening and watching from home tonight, you're going to be captivated by what's in store on your TV screens because it was it was a nice little taste of, of something that we just haven't seen on Grand Final Day before. And how does the old lady, the Gabba, look, Kane? I heard they were painting everything, the fence railings down to the little screws on the fence and the barricades. That they've, they've dressed her up a treat. Yeah, it looks magnificent. Like I had, I really had some scepticism about playing the game at the Gabba. Just having played there, it's, it's a bit underwhelming, isn't it? When when you do play at the Gabba, but it, it looks it looks an absolute treat. So they've clearly upgraded all the lighting. It was the fluoros, everything, spotlights going on. The lights go out, then they come back on, and everyone in the crowd's going to be wearing these little bracelets, as you saw on the networks last night that will light up during the pre-match entertainment and after goal. So visually, it's it's going to be spectacular. And I guarantee the debate after the game is night grand final versus day grand final is something we're probably going to have right throughout the summer. Most importantly, the um, the slice of MCG turf seems to have settled, <laughs> settled well. Settled That's what I'm told. Gaz. Hey, yeah. settled in? Settled nicely, just, just on the, the boundary line. Yeah. Whereabouts exactly, please, is it? <laughs> I've only seen an image. I wasn't on the ground last night, but it was somewhere near the interchange bench, I think. Near the race, just on the other side yeah. of the... So it wasn't the not the idea that when you ran out that you could put a foot on the turf so Correct. you could say that at least there's some MCG. Correct. Yes. Correct. Just comes and resonates up through your foot and through your leg. Do you have the hunch that the Gabba curator wasn't in on it? And when it arrived, he went, no way in hell. <laughs> we actually interviewed him. Yes. I don't think he was all that enamoured with the idea. I think he was pretty happy with his own yes. Gabba turf. He is. <laughs> Rip up a perfectly good piece of Gabba turf to whack in a bit of the MCG. But um, anyway, let's hope no one trips on him. <laughs> Kane... When you think about grand final days past, um, early experiences, first time as a player, what what comes most readily to mind for you? Um, f- well, for now, you probably take your mind back to you're lucky enough to play in them and what your memories are. So that's the automatic place I go to. And, and I just remember catching up with Dad prior to the game and him, you know, giving us some words of wisdom before the game, you know, you get text message. I just remember one that sticks out. Bruce McAvaney texted me on the morning of the 2004 grand final and he said something to the lines of, okay, now just remember the Sharon bounces a little bit differently on the MCG. It doesn't sit up as high as what it usually does on other grounds. These are just crazy <laughs> things that I remember from that day and, and the nerves and just the, the, the waking up and I was rooming with Don Cassisi um, at, at the Crown Hotel in Melbourne on the morning of grand final day and we, we almost sort of woke up at exactly the same moment on that Saturday morning and just looked at each other as two 21-year-olds and said, what have we got ourselves in for today? And luckily, you know, things go your way and it's just the best day of your life or it's in the top two or three days in your life with your kids, of course, and, and your wedding day for... For Lucy, if she's listening, but um, yeah, and you've been on the other end of it though, which is just just heartbreak. So, I just probably that that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, Jared. I reckon on the morning of grand final day is the thing that most vividly sticks out for me. Gaz, when you think of your, are you glad you had the experience? 
Um, of course, but there's nothing uh, redeeming about it at all. And I, I've never revisited it, and I don't rate it as one of the great moments of a footy career because of the circumstances, the belting we got. But it, it, today is about more so than any other day in sport that I have ever been involved in, is the, the savage nature of the difference between winning and losing. And it is never better exemplified, I think, in Grand... Well, for me, anyway, yeah, that's a, 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 a debate. But the winner, for the winner, it is everything. It, and Kane's experience... For the winner, I would imagine, it is everything. Because this is your dream, it's the focus, it's... It, and then you're off and we will celebrate you for days, weeks, months, until the balls bounce for the next year. For the loser, you are ha- you are nothing. As brutal as it sounds, you are nothing. And on grand final day, when that siren goes tonight, whether it be Geelong or Richmond, the winners will be the focus. And for you know, you with all broadcasts, for we'll, we'll eulogise the winner, and then for a split second, we'll go, oh, and how brave are they, or how disappointing? And then they'll walk down the race, and we will forget about them completely. And that is why it's so big. That's why this grand final day is so big. It is all or it is nothing. Richmond win today, it doesn't matter what Geelong have done. It doesn't matter about Gary. It doesn't matter about Paddy. It doesn't matter about Joel. It is nothing. They go back into this pack of 17 and prepare for next year. If they, if Geelong win, the dynasty for Richmond is, yeah, you can deal with that. Go and think about your other two wins out of three because this year you've achieved nothing. Does that feel about right, Kane? It does. Yeah, it it, it hits it, it hits it spot on. Um, and you're right. And that's you know I had to think about that in in a column I wrote during the week. Is do we need to start? Um, and this is all of us. Do we need to start having more winners in football? Um, because Gary's spot on. And the culture of us is that if you don't win it, you are nothing. To use Gaz's words just then. And is that having an effect on the issues we're seeing with some of the coaches at the moment? You, you look at American sports and you're all watching and you're all interested in it. They talk about winning seasons. They don't talk about winning Super Bowls as having success. So it is the brutal reality, exactly that, that there is only one winner every football season. Look, we admire what Brett Ratton has done and we, we, we admire what Ken Hinckley has done and great effort for, for, for the two coaches today. But at the end of the day, we only celebrate one winner in our game. Now, is that right? And is that contributing to the pressure and the anxieties of coaches at the moment and players? Perhaps it is, but you know, I'm not sure it's a culture that's going to change anytime soon. No, I can't, because that would have you celebrating Simon Goodwood in Melbourne. Mm, but but that's but that's the that's the culture though, isn't it, guys? Like that's what they do. You celebrate winning, not celebrate, but you acknowledge uh, the nine eight yeah. season and, and it, it, it's actually right. Most people would say, from a Melbourne point of view, it was a really disappointing mm. year. They didn't achieve mm. their goals. I've heard, yeah, you know, and I know, I'm not taking the Mickey, but I know you've been strong on them. They've had a winning season then, if you want to but strip e- it all back. But equally, I I think I think uh, John Longmire has done a done an admirable job as yeah. city coach, and yeah. equally, I think um, Justin. Longmire, I get those two mixed up, it's hard to separate, has done a great job as Fremantle coach and they finished 12th. So, you know, you do take into circumstance the demographic of your list and where you should be and the challenges that you face, Sydney, you know, for their best five hardly played at all this year. So, you know, there is room for different situations, but I still think we we should recognise the job of some coaches and teams that don't win the grand final. The day itself, Sam. So we're the we're the mortals, we're the spectators. We but I, I just miss going, Jerry. Yeah. Already, I just miss going. I just miss the pre-match buzz at the Coliseum, the MCC sleepover, the sleeping bags. You know, they're there all week. The way 
the atmosphere builds on the day and the hum around the ground that just steadily grows as we get closer to the first bounce. The parade I missed yesterday, the longest kick, all the festival outside the ground that's become such a big part of the day and the week and the build-up. And, you know, the front page of the Herald Sun today here in Melbourne, Mark Knight's cartoon, probably the first time in the week I've actually thought, yeah, okay, there's a bit of grand final right here in our little patch. And Travis Old last night, I don't think, and we'll probably get to this later, we can lose sight of the bigger picture that we've actually even got here. He tweeted a photo of, um, of his, something of his own checklist last night, Travis Old, and it's got 153 down to one, and that signifies, obviously, his roadmap to the finish line. He ticked them off one by one by hand, 153 games, eight finals, with one to go, and he tweeted that photo. And, um, boy, does anyone deserve a pie and a beer like that man and the rest <laughs> of his cohorts at the end of tonight? How do you feel, Jared, as someone that you know is so across everything? And this week would have been a, such a busy year for you for a week for functions and all the things that you mm. tick off. It used to be when we did the grand final footy show for me, that was the start of it. And it was always the kickoff. The Thursday build up into that was huge. And then we had the breakfast Friday, and then the lunch was Friday. It's <laughs> just one rolled into the other. Ironically, the best prepared you should ever be as a commentator for the grand final was always the worst you ever felt. <laughs> this year's different, but how have you seen it? Uh, displaced. Yeah. Uh, and so, if I'm really honest, my favourite race is the Cox Plate, and my team's playing in the grand final, and mm. I can't be at either. Yeah. Let alone, not just working, but just as a fan. Mm. Uh, and these are unmissable days. So, I've had a. Um, I just haven't felt it much this yeah. week. So I've, I, the the insight I get is through the kids, yeah. which is great. The kids are really excited for it. They wouldn't have been going. So it's no different for them watching it on TV tonight. They're up for it. They had their school colours day at school. Um, their footy colours day at school. But I feel um, I feel cut off from it in a mm. in a way that it's it's been uh, it's sat heavily with me. I agree, and uh, we become a bit immune to it because of what we've been through. Like, we've been cut off from everything. We've been cut off from going out for dinner. We've been cut off from going to the movies. All those little silly things that we just took for granted. But being cut off from this is when it's... This whole pandemic, we deal with it. You know, it's been tough. So we'll get through it, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. But today is, for me, this is the the only time I've really got... I've been been shirty and filthy about it like everyone else, but not to the point where it's affected me. But today it does, because today it's just, you know... Mm. roads out there it's raining and we're going to have to wait if it was just 2 o'clock it might have been better <laughs> we wouldn't have to wait although we can get through the races so it is what it is it'll make us appreciate it even more next year yes oh, yeah it's getting back to it so the game itself and maybe it's stitched into it is this is this is a one in seven or eight year grand final they, these come along once or twice a decade when you actually get the pairing the heavyweight pairing and yeah. this is it Oh, it is. It is. And I, I would love to sit here because we spend the week doing all the things that Kane's done and every other analyst, if you like, and, and arrive at a very strong conclusion. But I cannot give anyone a big tip in here. If you're a Geelong fan, I can't give you any great confidence. If you're a Richmond fan, not that that matters. You, you might have arrived at that point yourself, but I can't. Having looked at all manner of things and numbers and game styles and personnel, I just it is so evenly placed. And um, I, I can't see one team being overawed. I can't see one team letting the occasion get to them because there's experience and premierships throughout both lineups. So it is a 
a heavyweight. I think it is a genuine heavyweight title. And these similes and parallels between the team, you know, we'll give you your Dangerfield and Razor, your Martin. Yeah. And we'll give you, you can have Koch and the inspirational leader. And yeah, well, I'll throw you Selwood. Give us your big full forward, Tom Lynch. We'll get, you know, I got Tom Hall. I mean, all these different little parts of it have just. So, yeah, I, I think it's a genuine, genuine toss of the coin stuff. And, and as always, as a forward, I get back to it, you know. I, know the, I don't know what the conditions are like, but <sighs> goals, goals, goals. Richmond couldn't kick a goal against uh, – Geelong couldn't kick a goal against Richmond in their last encounter for love nor money. So they went to work on that. And I love what they've done. I'm glad they have because they couldn't win a grand final if they didn't. And they now look more potent. And we forget a little bit that Richmond went at it with Port Adelaide last week and they slugged it out and they only found six. They only found six against Port Adelaide. And um, there have been times where they've been frustrated through the year. I listened with great interest to your um, Craig Jennings, who I love listening to, and I agree wholeheartedly. They were got out a bit. They were got out when they were denied time and space and the flood, if you like, and it frustrated them. You combine that with just six last week, I just think goals, goals, goals. So um, I'm thinking that Tom might, Tom Hawkins, there's two Toms. Yes. I think he might hold the key somewhat. Kane, in the having a game with all the elements, it, does this feel like it ticks them all? Yeah, it does for me, Jared. And, and I think the, the, there's a lot of different. There's a lot of similarities, I should say, but there's also some differences. And it, so, if I, I can paint a, a pretty firm case for Richmond to get after Geelong in a really significant way, and I, I, I assume that Damien Harbick had a real close look at what Port Adelaide did to uh, Geelong in that third quarter of the qualifying final, where the Cats just could not exit their, their back line. They they panicked to a point that I haven't seen them do this year, and even their best players were trying to pick off ones for the middle of the ground. That was a bit of panic in that. Uh, players were slipping over and weren't coping with the pressure that Port Adelaide's younger and smaller forward line delivered. And I think Richmond are capable of doing that to the point where, you know, Geelong kept bombing it back and Hartlett took four intercept marks in that third quarter. I think that is the area to beat the Cats in slippery conditions if that's what happens tonight. So that's why I give Richmond a, a slight edge. But I, I do love their response to the midfield the Tigers like they've they've been reasonably poor not that they tend to care too much about the clearance number they get it back in another way but they have lifted significantly through this final series so the midfield battle is always fascinating and intriguing to me and these two midfields come in really good form and and both Ruckman are in really good form as well Sam storylines is oh, this is so rich for storylines so the last day of Gary Ablett the first grand final of Paddy Dangerfield Dustin Martin's quest for a third Norm Smith the third premiership for the Tigers which is the marker that's the marker to join the teams yep, of the, the age is. Chris Scott searching for his second after so many years of keeping them in contention without quite being good enough you've listed them all uh, and Lockie Henderson he went there for a premiership Zach Tui his Carlton teammate did the same I mean we are blessed on this side of the fence because regardless of what happens like Gary says tonight while it'll be polar opposites for the two teams win or loss there's going to be amazing storylines all the way through it that we'll be dissecting for ages and I better the sharper tactical minds for mine when I look at this game though I just want to know one thing Will Geelong allow themselves to be sucked into that pressure again like they did in round 17? Or do they take it on like we've seen a little bit more? And this is, the, first, the first exit, if you like, out of their back half will be so interesting. How slow do they go? Do they know when to pull the trigger? Do they know when to hold? It's going to be so fascinating to see where they can get through that. So the mark play on stuff from the back half yeah. through the uh, first game right through until the first final was around 23%. Um, 
the last couple of weeks it's up around 36. So it's been not it's been noticeable, and I'm sure it's been in response to some of the things that they struggle with. So I think they'll take it on. Um, I mean, coaching in the game is all about getting it on your terms. I can just see Geelong pushing back so hard. They're going to push back so hard to this Richmond defence, uh, Richmond forward line. And we've shown you a lot of vision throughout the last six weeks of whether it be Myers or whether it be Dalhouse, who all of a sudden within the space of a minute bobs up deep in defence. That's what they'll do. They'll jam it up. And then I'm backing them to take this game on a little bit. And and Richmond will bring their heat. So it's it's beautiful. We'll sit there and watch it and see who can handle it at the most mm. important time of the year. Can you detect a mood in either camp, Kane, in the interviews that you've been a part of with participants? No, I think they've handled it as well as they possibly could have. Yeah, I, I do like that. I, I like picking up, you know, the language and, you know, we sort of picked it up with, with Chris Fagan heading into that prelim. He wasn't quite sure that they deserved to be there and the players played like that. There, there's none of that and that's why I think you summed it up beautifully with, with the genuine heavyweights who there is an air of it's not arrogance, but there's an air of real confidence about both coaches. When they speak, they're respectful to the opposition. They understand how good the opposition are and they're going to have to be at their absolute best to win. But they both back their systems in to say, look, if we can pull it off, we will win. And they almost broadcast that in front of us, don't they? And it's a, I think it's a nice way that they've handled it. I thought the, uh, the images of Dangerfield after the prelim, he wasn't carried away, he wasn't overawed. Clearly, he's thinking one more. So that there is nothing that would give me any alarm bells from body language or media interviews or wh- anything that's been said this week that would have me nervous if I was either side. So, yeah, I think they've handled it as well as they could. Not just rivalry, but just there's a hint of feud between the two of them, which I oh, yeah. love. I, I... Even they have breakfast every morning with each other. It <laughs> yes. adds, adds, adds something even more to it. When they put on the the strip, I think there's, there's feud there even deeper than what you would typically get. So our crunch time today is going to include Tony Cochran, who really is the architect of this grand final being in Queensland today. We've got the full trade breakdown of where things are at across the competition and more on the grand final ahead and all the issues. You're listening to Crunch Time with Kane Corns, Gary Lyon, Sam Edmund and Jared Waitley for Clean Away. Up your disposal efficiency with Clean Away. It is AFL Grand Final Day tonight at the Gabba for the first time and it will be Richmond and Geelong for the Premiership of 2020. With all manner of questions around legacy, not only for the two teams and the individuals involved, but the competition more broadly after the year that has been endured. Saved by Queensland, concluded in Queensland. It's a season that will not be forgotten. Jared Waitley, Gary Lyon, Kane Corns, who's in the heartland of footy in Brisbane, and Sam Edmund with you on the Grand Final edition of crunch time with so much to to kick around i mean not the least of which the end of of gary ablett in footy 14 seasons for senior 19 seasons for junior 605 matches and as it stands 1476 goals the iconic father son of the code I have nothing to add that hasn't already been said. I, don't, I can't add anything more that's going to add anything to Gary Ablett's great story. Um, I played against his dad and with his dad, which was a great experience, so I can add some, some background from that. <laughs> I remember vividly at state training uh, doing you know, drills where he'd turn around and say, who's that, who's that? And you'd say, Robert Harvey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Well, maybe more than Robert Harvey, that would have been a bit late. But he, he was just blissfully unaware of most people in the competition. Um, I got caught up in a blue. He belted me one day, um, and for about 
the next five years, I was arch enemy number one for Geelong fans, Jared, for doing nothing other than being belted <laughs> by Gary Ablett. Um, and he famously apologised on the way off the ground. He came to me and put his arm around me and said, I'm so sorry, Gazza, I shouldn't have done that, and I apologise. And we did. A, we had a tribunal investigation that, that was instigated, and there was nothing, they had no evidence. They asked me, I said, I, didn't, I don't know what happened, I couldn't see anything, so there was nothing, he was going to be a right to play the next week, and he walked into the offices of Ken Gannon and said, no, I'm confessing. And they said, no, you Gary, you're not, you, of course you're not. And he said, no, I am. And he missed three weeks he got. But uh, he, was a, he was a unique character. So, I mean, I'm just blessed and lucky like all of us to watch. Um, I've, got great, I've got some really great Geelong mates. So I see Gary Ablett Jr. through their eyes and they just, they're reverential when they talk about him, which is fantastic. Kane, your, your experiences? Um, well, I got to play on him a couple of times um, with not a lot of success, it must be said. Did you and tag I, him? Was that Yeah, you? I did. I did, Gary. I, I, one day was the, one of the toughest days I've had in footy. When you go down to Geelong, you, you know what it's like. In the middle of winter, it's freezing, it's cold. They're ready to go, they're ready for you. And they were as good a team as I've ever played against, and he was the best player in the comp. And they went out of their way to give him the ball, to protect him on top of his brilliance. So he's, he's as close to unstoppable during that period as, as any player I've come up against. He used to do a lot of... Uh, research and watch a lot of vision but before the players I was going to play on. And, and this comment from Bomber Thompson that I read in the Herald Sun yesterday was my feelings of why he was so stoppable. He, he unstoppable. He says, I know there are some players when they go near the ball, they just have an ability to get it all the time. And that was with Gary. Like It's a simple quote, but the ball just had an un, uncanny way of finding itself into his hands like it would bounce to him or he would read it quicker than anyone else half a second point one of a second he was just onto it quicker than any other player and that's the one point anytime he went near the ball he got it I mean and he just his ability to find the footy was unbelievable how hard did they protect him oh I got this one day was I remember being as physically and mentally exhausted as I could be. I gave away how six they do free it? kicks. How did they do it and who was it that was <laughs> most protective? Scarlett. Yes. Harley. Yes. Bartell. Corey. At Mooney. Verbal. The, the, verbal the and physical. Oh, a little bit, but just to the point where you just felt inferior. Like you just you were just up against not only the best player in the modern era, but his array of teammates who did everything to make sure he got the ball and you, you wouldn't so I, I was holding on. I gave away six free kicks. I was a little bit embarrassed by my performance, but there was nothing I, I could do about it. And you just physically and emotionally exhausted. Now, that was a, in the day where tagging was a thing. It's not so much now, but it was as you know as footy humiliated as you can get on the day. You lose by you know, 10 goals, and, and he has 35, and you give away six free kicks, and you, you, you couldn't do anything. So he was just... Unbelievable. And the other point I want to just make about him is his consistency. Like, I mean... And, he just never played a bad game. Like so, so twenty-eight and a goal was a bad game on his numbers through you know, not not only a ten-year period but a, a thirteen-year period where he averaged almost thirty and, and probably a goal or two a game. So, 
I'm not sure we've seen anything like his consistency before. I mean, someone will say Lee Matthews, and yeah, pro- probably, but I didn't get to see Lee play. But certainly in the modern era, his consistency sticks out for me as well. Did he get reported, Jared? Can you remember Gary Ablett Jr.? Have, you know, because imagine the physical stuff that's come his yeah. way over the journey. Did he ever retaliate? So it was only really last year yeah. Yeah. where twice he raised the elbow and then he flushed a Suns player on the chin. Right. Just in that really curious mm. phase, he'd been booed by crowds a Hawthorne crowd, which I think unsettled him immensely. He'd been booed really for his religious beliefs rather than anything to do with the way that he'd played the game. And it unsettled him for about a month. And we mm. saw stuff that we'd never seen. I mean, he was so far removed from his father. A bit going on in his world. Yes, yes, there was. And and we've learnt that all, all uh, subsequently. And, and he, But really, outside but of those four weeks. Back in the day when weeks, he was at nah. his... No. No, no, he just took whatever came his way, didn't he? Yep. Did the move to the Gold Coast enhance the reputation and the legacy? And, and if it wasn't for the shoulder in 2014, he probably, in all likelihood, would have won a third. No, perhaps. he definitely would have. Well, he he would have broken third. all records that year. Yeah, he finished third, I think, that year and played what six or seven less games than, than the winner so I reckon it did Sam I reckon it did because just to, to further the point when you had the names that I just mentioned yeah. and he was running around the back and you know he'd get the odd cheap possession as he would because he'd use it so well they wanted to give it to him and you had all those names protecting him I thought well good luck Gaz you're going to go up to a team that's going to win five games for the year you're going to have to carry the midfield on your own. I was blown away by his performance on the Gold Coast because he just continued on and he was tagged every week. And he, as you said, he did it with a minimum of frustration and he didn't have anyone to look after him. I mean, Jared Brennan was looking after him. It wasn't Matthew Scarlett. So I, I absolutely think it enhanced his reputation, what he did up there. Some of those seasons up on the Gold Coast, when you go back and have a look at them, we're talking 650-plus disposals a season, and he's having 50 shots at goal. Like, there were games up there where it was 40-3, and 35-4, and 30-3. and three. <laughs> Outrageous. Is it the biggest fairy tale that can come out of this? I think it is. I think if he finished with a premiership... So it's, it breaks one or two ways. He's either Lee Matthews, carried mm-hmm. off the ground with... Glum faces everywhere after they've lost the grand final. And you might even have the most unbelievable situation where the Premier's go and make a guard of honour for it. They him. might. That's where this sits. Or, or he's getting the medal put around his neck in an image that'll last for generations. Yeah, it's hard to go past it, isn't it? Yeah. There's lots of, I mean, the Dangerfield is a great story. but This I, is the king of them. Yeah. This yeah. is the king story. And then there's Dustin Martin. So both I've heard all week your just effusive praise, Kane and Gaz, on his finals performances. So he's won two Gary Ayres medalists. He's his second one vote behind coming in here. He's won two Norm Smiths, and there's every reason to believe if Richmond win as he'll be the driving force of it. Um, and I know it's probably upset the the Kevin Bartlett people who who think his record in finals is just been a fraction overlooked. But Martin's capacity to deliver in the biggest moments will it happen again tonight? Well, this yes. The bottom line is you'd be crazy to bet against him because he has and he does and he continues to. And the more staggering thing about it all, and Kane and I did the game with you guys last week, is how the opposition clubs uh, are trying to manage him. And if he's afforded the space and time and mismatch that he was last week, then he will be a three-time Norm Smith medalist. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that that's not going to happen. But what it what it looks like and what the what the plan is from a Geelong point of view is going to be one of the great storylines because you just can't have Dustin Martin attend a, a stoppage, the ball leaves the area and have him stand there on his own. Just You can't have the best finals player that we've seen in our time or one of do that. So 
um, we spoke to Ken Hinkley through the week and we asked him and he said, yeah, that really, well, paraphrasing, but he said it wasn't quite the plan and there was a couple of kicks that came out of nowhere and landed in his arms and yeah, that happens a fair bit with Dusty. <laughs> so, so I know Kane's, uh, I, I watched him last week and the frustration on his face, the mismatch with Dusty uh, Burn jones So it will. And we loved, I love watching him play. Um, I looked at some great vision through the week that our boys on Fox showed us and just as the ball disappears, Dustin just walks off out the back <laughs> on his own with, with 40 or 50 metres of space. Don't get him started up there in Brisbane, Gary. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. I, I, equally, we spoke to Ken as well and I, I said to him, Ken, I said, please call me a dinosaur, if you will. T- tell me I don't know the modern game. Say whatever you like to me, but... I went back and watched it, and the amount of times Dustin Martin stood on his own, as you said, and no one put any physical... Con- it's almost like he's got the competition bluffed. Mm. Richmond have got the competition bluffed that you can't and you're not allowed to go and be physical against Dustin. we got a premiership up for grabs. Why wouldn't someone go and... Get into him. Old school exactly style. Exactly right. And and not, you know, not, not overtly, you know, before the bounces, but, uh, you know, or taunting or any of that stuff, but... If the ball goes up at a stoppage, why wouldn't you just go and whack your arm across his midriff very firmly to know that, hey, Dusty, you're not going to just run around and do what you want today. And that's what I was really disappointed with with Ken. And he said, look, Dusty plays as a forward. He doesn't play as a midfielder. He comes up, and if you go with him and you get too focused, he'll pull you around and he'll take apart your defensive system. I said, well, that's fine. That's fine, Kenny. But Did it anyway. Ha- how do you explain? <laughs> how do you explain him standing all alone at the first stoppage in front of the interchange bench with one minute into the first quarter? And that, that's when he said, "Yeah, well, we could have, we could have done some things differently." But I just think he's got him bluffed. I don't think anyone's prepared to, you know, upset one of the great you know figures. If it was me, I'd be putting some real uh, physical um, work into him, and you know, grabbing an arm or you know trying to scrag him off the ball, stop his run to the front and square like he kicked that first goal on the weekend. But no one as yet is prepared to do it. I hope I'm surprised today, but I don't suspect I will be. So I think fundamentally it is this, just this philosophical change in, in football attitudes. It's a defender's attack and attackers want to, are forced to defend. And I, I rail against this as someone that played there. And I saw you know, Daniel Rich try to get away with it with Gary Ablett and thank the Lord it didn't happen because he was trying to play this impervious, I'm the, I'm the, the, I'm the attacker. No, you're not. No, you're not, Daniel. You're the defender. And Basher Hooley on Connor Rosie last week. Basher doing his own stuff was great. Connor Rosie's the best player on the ground. So, Basher, at some stage, you got, or they then try and manufacture a different matchup. And it's happened a lot. I've, I've watched it a lot. And at some stage, you're just going to have to defend. Defenders have got to defend. And sacrifice, well, it's not even a sacrifice. Defend for the sake of defending, and your team might win. <laughs> Conversations that can and will last all day with the grand final tonight at the Gabba. We'll extend our thoughts shortly to Stephen Silvani. Interview which Gary Lyon conducted, North Melbourne's scenario, which Sam Edmund has covered in great depth over a few weeks now. Kane Corns and Jared Waitley with you. This is crunch time for Beaumont Tiles, exclusive bathroom packages from Beaumont's four grand the lot and identifiber specialising in asbestos mould, air quality and environmental services. He was at the top of his powers for nearly every game I saw at the Gold Coast. And he's been at the top of his powers for so long, it's unbelievable. He is an absolute genius. I think he probably sits at the shoulder of Lee Matthews in terms of what we've seen in the last 30 years. There are different nuances to both of them, but uh, that, that's where I feel like he sits. Thompson can't do much now. Adler gets through. He can do plenty. Hooks it back. How about that? Can he 
They couldn't contain him. He kicked the goal! Oh, the Saints climbing, they touched it. But no one can touch Gary Ablett at his best. Steve Johnson enjoying himself. Stokes Ablett, speaking of enjoying himself, from the pocket. That is as good as it gets from the genius. Duncan hand pass to Ablett. Rarely wastes it from here. 55 out. He put it up. He put it home. It's a little blaster from the master. 11 years since uh, since I've played in the grand final, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited. I've been uh, blessed through, throughout the last 19 years just to play the game for that long. You know, the average career is four years, and um, I've been able to achieve so much in my career. So I'm uh, I'm hoping I can go out in a high. The last day of Gary Ablett comes tonight in the 2020 Grand Final from the Gabba. You're listening to Crunch Time for Cleanaway, Stockdale and Lego and McDonald's. Stuart Waitley, Sam Edmund, Kane Corns and Gary Lyon. And Gaz, you were part of the most captivating interview of the week, which was Stephen Silvani after, after a year's silence and with much to say. I wonder, having been in it, what was your sense of it? Um... Well, a man who had carried a, um, a fair bit, I reckon, for a year and for reasons uh, best known to Steve, he hasn't spoken about it. I, I've known him, Stephen, well for a long, long time, since we were 14 or 15 years of age. And he's a very private person in lots of ways, you know, for someone who's such a celebrated career. He stayed in footy and, and you know, from list management points of view, but never really sought the spotlight or anything like that and walked away after a difficult time at Carlton and sat on stuff that I think in the end he just wanted to purge and wanted to get it out and I think he felt better after it for whatever reason it may have you know it did it was a big stir but I think you're better off getting that stuff out on the table rather than holding it in and he'd held it in for a long time and he tried to be as diplomatic as he could but in the end he'd been really really badly hurt um, from the Carlton Footy Club a club that he that loved and as he said he bled for put his body on the line for drove to great success had a big part in their success came back to try and help him build a list and felt slighted by an administration or administrator uh, particularly um, that maybe didn't have the investment in the footy club that he'd had over a long period of time so all that sort of um, added up to what we heard on Wednesday what was the industry reaction, Sam? Just sort of the private industry reaction. That it had been coming, that it was still a shock to many. And I got in touch with a lot of people when it was on. And I just felt compelled to speak to someone about it. It was so <laughs> explosive. And he was almost emotional at times, Stephen. Yeah, a lot of the stories were known in the industry, but still hearing it from him and the, the level of accusation that was really the undercurrent of, of that morning was still pretty profound, wasn't it? I, I think when it started to affect the trade targets... That's when it became, if it wasn't already, completely untenable. You know, if he's driving um, the Brandon Ellis campaign and then he's a priority, he's not a priority, and then Eddie Betts' wage, it just was affecting other players they had there. It had got messy beyond the point of him staying there. And um, look, Carlton royalty, but the Carlton supporters, to the best of my knowledge, are, 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 I won't say they're happy with it, but they've got immense faith in the way the club's going. But a big part of that is because of Steve Silvani himself. Kane, did you think it was all damaging for Carlton? Yeah, I did. I, it wasn't wasn't great a PR exercise for the Carlton Footy Club. I was on air on SENSA at the time and I was seeing the, the quotes come through on Twitter and I was like, Ooh, this is this is strong. And I, I went back and I listened to every minute of the 35-minute interview and without, you know... Patting Gaz and Tim on the back, it was the media interview of the year. Like I haven't been as captivated by what a guest has said 
ever. I thought the questioning was great and the follow-up was terrific. Um, what I did like and one of the takeaways from me was, you know, there's not a lot of loyalty left in footy uh, these days, but to hear um, the way that he dealt with, you know, he didn't name Cade Simpson, but clearly it was Cade Simpson and the mm. guarantees that he'd given him over his contract and the assurances that that's all he could pay him to then get someone else who had left the footy club in bets and come back as more of a PR exercise, be paid more. And I've often thought, you know, what what is... What is an Essendon player who's, you know, toiled away for a while? You know, I can't think of just one off the top of my head. Think about Jai Coldball coming in on, on $2.5 million. He's played 11 games and a, an Essendon player has been there for a while and he's getting paid 400 And an 11-game player comes in and it took me back to, to that. That type of thing gets footy players disgruntled and can disrupt the disharmony of, of a footy team. So to hear that Sauce was conscious of that, but perhaps the CEO wasn't as well. It was just one of the takeaways of, of many that I took from that interview. And the North Melbourne scenario, who have now formally parted company with Three Shore. So on the night you were able to report this, Sam, you mm. told us immediately that while this was being done gently, they were searching for a new coach because this was the only way that it could end. Yeah, I mean, as harsh as it sounds, this had been coming. I think we'd said that from the outset. And the club were well prepared for this to happen. It was going to go down this path. Uh, as unfortunate it is for Reshaw, he wasn't going to be reporting back for duty, if you like, anytime soon. It might not have even been before the end of the calendar year. So the club simply had had to act. There was obviously, understandably, a lot of toing and froing between Reshaw and his family and his management and the club about the what they were willing and could say and were willing to put in that statement. In the end, it was very matter-of-fact in the end, almost almost cold in a way, but that was what all parties agreed upon on uh, on Thursday, that the, it would be effective immediately. And the contingency plan's already in place around finding a new coach. So if Paul Ruse, probably more like when Paul Ruse joins, he'll be part of that panel. They'll sit down, they'll go through it all again to search for another coach. But there's so many wide, wider questions in this, mm. isn't there, Jared? around, you know, the duty of care, um, I guess the the structures that that football club has in place for its senior coach. And um, they've got to look inwards as well, more than anything, I would have thought. So what to do, Gaz? What to do? Um, well, they've got to be a lot more thorough than, than they were last time. Um, from So that's sort of come to light. Well, they rail against that quite a bit. They might, they can, but... Well, okay, how many did they interview? Well, they only interviewed one, but they were set that he was their man. So That's they right. say they did the research to find that one and then interviewed that one. And and they how, say do that was... how do you know if you haven't spoken to anyone but one? In, in, in an official interview mm. sense? Well, you don't. But, I mean, as far as casting the net, it was a pretty wide net when you consider that the, the coaches that they did get, at least approach. So they only spoke to one. And, then, and that was Clarkson said no, Longmire said no, Simpson said no. And then they end, ended up interviewing Reshaw. No, I get that. Yeah. I, and, and this is me who's been part it, it of was, the one It's the failed. shallowest process yeah. I can recall. Mm. They, they might think they ran a process. It's the shallowest process I can recall in the search for a coach mm. in my time covering yeah. it. That, that, that's the first port of call. Go, here's your Hail Mary group, and which is what they did, the Hail Mary group. Yep. And when they all said no, that's when you go, right, now the, the roll up tier. our sleeves yeah. and let's get our hands yeah. dirty and let's go through and work through a whole host. And... I didn't do that enough when our process was on, and someone asked me through the week, and I'd be much better second. I wouldn't. I was. We we, we didn't get that right at all. I'd be much better second time around doing mm. all this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, they, they've they've got to go and thorough. They may they may unearth Chris Fagan. They may unearth Chris Fagan, who at the same time, when you look at these two clubs five years apart, were exactly the same spot. Mm. And yet they've almost got to stare down the urgency, Jared, because. 
there's a number of deadlines approaching. That yeah. they've got to no, they need to get ball. a wriggle on. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to act in haste, mm. but they do have to move with a sense of urgency. Gaz, we'll be back together for the call. Enjoy your afternoon. Enjoy the racing. I'll be on Fox, and then I'll be here, and I'll be calling it with you and uh, the best. Did Hutto win an yes. award? Oh. He ran the he table on the call. He said, where's my, where's my nomination? Blue jeans, <laughs> blue jeans, Gary Lyon, the parts crunch time. <laughs> Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, and Kane Corns with you. Kane's in Brisbane. And that is the anointed city for this once-in-a-lifetime grand final outside Victoria. It's going to be played at night. And in a moment's time, the architect of all of this, Tony Cochran, the chairman of the Suns, who took it upon himself, really, to make sure that the government could align with the councils and present the compelling case to the AFL that the reward for Queensland for saving the season should be the showpiece occasion. The the fact that it's at night, so there's some of this that won't last. Obviously, we're not going back to the Gabba with the way contracts are signed, whether you think it should be on the move or not. Contracts demand that the grand finals at the MCG. But we do, Kane, get the first taste of a grand final under lights. And I can tell you it's going to be spectacular. I was there last night for, for the Sunday footy show in my room telethon um, fundraiser that we had and it was they were doing some light displays and they were lighting up the stage where the pre-match entertainment is going to be. All Everyone in the crowd will have uh, some wristbands, as I said earlier on in the program, that will light up after goals and when the lights go out. So it's going to be... It's going to be spectacular and something like we have never seen and something that a night grand final gives you the options to do, uh, particularly with the, the entertainment. So there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, I don't give a stuff about the entertainment, I'm just here for the footy. But equally, there's a lot of people that are there for the full spectacle of it and I think it's a brilliant way to be able to grow the game um, in absolute prime time. And I think there's going to be a, a really fierce debate just after a little sample that I saw last night whether the night grand final should be here to stay. And when you have the capacity to go back hopefully next year to 100,000 at the MCG under lights with the options that that gives you. It's it's definitely going to be worthwhile having the debate, but let's see what it looks like and it's a an excellent time to be able to experiment with this. Well, it's almost been overlooked, the fact that in the last month or so that it is going to be at night, Jerry. This was the annual debate that yep. we frothed over every single time and yet it's sort of faded to the background in recent times, but this game will be played under lights and you find yourself really barracking for it to be a good spectacle, don't you? Well, at least I do, because the alternative is it's a soggy, dark, messy night where the band goes home wet and the lightning strikes. You just want it to be a glittering showpiece in every sense. And people will debate. I know the majority of footy fans are rock solid on it being during the day. I love the idea of a twilight grand final at the MCG. We start with the setting sun. We finish in the dark. I just think that would be an amazing spectacle. Yeah, so the, the hardcore who rail against any suggestion of change on every front are... Uh, I swear they're rooting for this to fail and they're <laughs> desperate not to give it a chance. And the rhythms that you'll be feeling right now are intertwined in that. Normally yeah. we'd be in the countdown mode and we'd be at the MCG, but you've got to find a different rhythm to the day and pace yourself towards the oh, night. It's fascinating, isn't it? But it for is. those of us who have seen, and the, mo the bit I most hate is people go, we don't have to do what America does. It's got nothing to do with America. All of sport has discovered that it looks better yep. under lights. The Australian Open men's final, the NRL grand final, uh, around the world is mm. sport looks better, more grand, more spectacular under lights. So we'll get our case study tonight. And then instead of 
debating the either the traditions or the esoterics of it, we can just go, well, did we like it or not? Would we yeah. really go back? Well, you talk about storylines pertaining to the game before and the fairy tales or otherwise. Well, this is one of the biggest storylines mm. right here. And Kane's right. It will be debated, um, I reckon, pretty ferociously on the tail end of it as to how it went as a product, as a spectacle. Because the vast majority are neutral supporters. Yep. Um, so it is all oh, built into the spectacle. The Twitter conversation will be frothing tonight, Jared, when it kicks off. No doubt about that. And, and ratings will play a big part in it, Kane, because it is just a simple fact that if you play it in prime time, you get more viewers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, with the, the circumstances, yeah, the, the number will be off the charts, you would think. I'm, I'm no expert on this type of thing. But uh, if, judging by the final series and the ratings all year, you would think it's going to be one of the most watched grand finals of all time. So hopefully the weather stays away. There's a, like, as I'm peering out the window now, it's it's overcast. It's a little bit blustery. But right now, perfect footy conditions. Um, but they are expecting a 70% chance of rain at some point tonight. And some talk of some storms and some thunder around. Hopefully that doesn't disrupt the pre-match entertainment and any thought of lightning we know is, is catastrophic for holding a game of footy and the, and the safety around that. So let fingers crossed that the weather holds off. And there's extra time. Fingers crossed for that too, Jared. <laughs> no rain and extra time. The AFL will be licking their chops. So we get the first look at halftime entertainment mm. as well. So it's it's a loaded schedule. It, it sort of feels like a bit of everything. I don't know whether that they, that's the right way to go or not. We won't know until hindsight. But Shepherd at halftime in a, in a 27-minute break. So it, it will be something different for us. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's an expanded halftime as well. So, you know, there's a whole heap of things that we're going into for the first time watching at home. You know, the kids are staying up late, Jared, as well. Um, the kids get the special leaf pass to stay up late. So the final siren's due to take place at 9.53 um, Eastern Daylight Savings Time, that is. So in the halftime, as I say, extended somewhat for entertainment. It will be interesting to see the added influence that entertainment has on the grand final, mm-hmm. given that it's pre-match and then it's it's one and done until the, the final siren. So interesting to see how that goes it is it's marginally too late like the the, the difference a half hour makes between 9.23 and 9.53 yep. with kids is is really big I wonder if they wrestle with that at all so it's a 6.30 local bounce 7.30 um, into the rest of the eastern seaboard mm. six, 6 o'clock 7 o'clock sort of felt yep. well, I actually well, that was I the initial that's figure. where we yeah. were going to land yep and we landed a little bit later. So we get the chance to live through it. I think the other element probably to raise here, Sam, and because the day is usually in Melbourne, just what Melbournians are confronting, like the most, um, in a week that has had its challenges, the, the worst moment was the Herald Sun's front page oh, the around drones, drones yeah. and helicopters. is at the, the surveillance to make sure that we're not observing oh. the cultural festival yeah. that it is. That was it's a well-worn phrase. That's so 2020, isn't it? The the police uh, photo of holding the drone on the front page of the Herald Sun, and there's um, blockages on all the uh, major freeways heading out of town as well for people. Uh, the fear that people will go and congregate uh, en masse at their friends' houses to watch it. all the things we just uh, a second nature to us here that um, we've been uh, told categorically we cannot do in the eyes of the law. So it's um. We just bunker down. We have our own barbecues at home. Get the Weber Q fired up, uh, Jared. We're a gathering of what four or five, and um, tuck in. It was the one bit that so Peter Volandi's in that um, in that very Sydney way took a pop at the AFL yesterday. The one bit he got completely wrong was deriding Victorians at this moment in time, as the rest of it's all good sport. But 
and you do have to live here to understand what we're what we're going through. Yeah. One of the driving forces as to why this grand final is in Queensland tonight, and with a view of what the legacy could be, is Tony Cochran, who is far more than just the chairman of the Gold Coast Suns. Tony, perfect day to talk. Welcome to Crunch Time, and congratulations on this day dawning. Hey, Jared. Uh, welcome from the beautiful state of Queensland, where the weather's probably not. Uh, best but anyway we'll get through that somehow does it feel monumental to you tony oh it's a terrific day for queensland footy um and uh you know i, I just had really we've had a great year up here in the sense i know it's been terrible for victorians and and what have you with what you've been through but i guess out of that the flip side is that uh we've had so many um teams and and players and coaches and officials and the AFL themselves up here now for some time. And it's been really tremendous because I've got to all see firsthand how strongly the game's growing up here, which is uh, just testimony to a lot of work from a lot of people over a lot of years. But, uh, you know, it's the old story. Keep on keeping on. In your mind's eye, Tony, what, what do you want people to see tonight? Well, <laughs> um we we want to stage a fantastic grand final. Um, clearly, the two best sides for the year are there together, uh, very evenly matched, so that's exciting. And then um, we think we put together a very compelling, a very well-thought-out uh, entertainment piece, both pre-game and at half-time. And we're hoping the combination of those two things drives us to a massive uh, TV audience and hopefully puts to bed once and for all that the grand final should move to night time when it returns to the MCG. Tony, I want to ask you about that because I was there just for a, a, a tiny glimpse of the light show and, and what the crowd will be wearing on their wrists. Can you give us some insight into what we can expect with, with the spectacle tonight? Yeah, well, we've, well two things. Firstly, uh, I think that was you, Quincy. Uh, firstly, we, we uh, have really made uh, the show quite Queensland eccentric. Um, it's there's lots of firsts in the show. It's the first time a full orchestra has ever been used in a major sporting event in this manner. Um, certainly in Australia, and to the best of our knowledge, certainly the first time in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, we've got the very latest PixMob technology from Canada, so that is certainly the first time it's ever been used at a major sporting event in the Southern Hemisphere, and certainly the first for Australia. Um, and the combination of that technology, really well-produced acts and uh, a really great uh, uh, thought process has gone into both pre-game and the halftime show, um, we hope delivers um, a reimagined version of the uh, grand final day to uh, the whole of Australia and indeed overseas who are watching it. Cannot wait for that. Uh, there's a piece in the Herald Sun today where Gillan McLaughlin spoke about the, the AFL season teetering on an edge to use his words and the conversation that he had with the Queensland Premier at the time. There was almost like a 48-hour window, Tony, where they had to get the teams out of Victoria. How involved were you, if at all, in those conversations? And I guess how proud are you of the state? Because without them, there would have been no grand final or no season. Um. Yeah, well, I, was, I, I sort of got myself involved as I, I'm apt to do. Um, I'm not very good <laughs> sitting on the sideline. Um, back in the first half. So 
I drove the government and the city council. We're very lucky on the Gold Coast because it's the second biggest council in Australia, so it's got a serious budget and can do serious things. And I drove both the Mayor of the Gold Coast, Tom Tate, and the Minister, Kate Jones, nuts at the first hub, saying, this is a wonderful opportunity, we can't let it slip. Help me get some money together to try and convince the, the uh, powers that be at the AFL to let's try and develop a small hub, which we did, you might recall, first up with the two South Australian sides and the two WA sides. And from that little hub, uh, we grew into a bigger hub and then a bigger hub again and... Uh, the final uh, fourth version of the hubs, which was nearly everybody, I think, by our three teams. So, um, yeah, no, look, uh, my fingerprints were all over the scene of the murder. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a really enjoyable murder because it has given footy up here such a focus. You know, we, we are in an NRL state, but let me tell you, and they would be quietly getting more and more concerned because we are slowly but surely winning this battle, there'll be a time uh, in the next uh, 10 to 20 years where Queensland is a hugely strong and a very proud uh, AFL Indigenous state. Well, Tony, I wanted to ask you about that. Hi, it's Sam Edmund here. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We, we speak about the legacy Pleasure. legacy of things like, you know, the Olympic Games and what that does for a city or a country. Now, this is on a far, far, far smaller scale to this, obviously, but you, ha- you made a bid, you had a bid team, you had a bid video, it was a whole campaign. What is the legacy for the game and how do you go best about the next step? And that is maximising the benefits of having the grand final in your backyard there. Yeah, well, you know, we can now all be honest because we bid and won. Um, You know, we knew that we were up against it because clearly the Adelaide Oval is a stunning venue. Um, I opened it with the Rolling Stones, what, six years ago. So I'm well familiar with what a fantastic uh, venue Adelaide's got. And then right in the centre of the city, great access to it and clearly the venue in Perth is a sensational venue so we knew we had to play every card under the sun to uh, get the grand final up here and the reason why certainly myself and I know a lot of others work so hard on that because we really do see this gives everybody a whole new focus particularly in government you know we've never been able to really crack a continuous sort of a dialogue with government up here about AFL. And, you know, part of um, this whole process was we, we managed to um, convince the government to put $6 million into a future legacy fund. Then it's not going to go to the funds. It's not going to go to the lines. It's going to go to helping establish more ovals, more change facilities, more goalposts uh, from the from Cape York down to Coolangatta and everywhere in between. Because our biggest issue up here, if you take my area of the Gold Coast and and northern New South Wales, which is the Suns region, we've developed 28 new ovals in the last seven years, and we've got plans for another 20 in the next five years. That's our biggest challenge because we've got so much growth in juniors, both girls and boys, that, you know, we need to find places for them to play. Um, you know, it's quite common for us, for example, my, my 14-year-old daughter uh, plays a game, as, as uh, did my elder son. It's quite common for us as a family on the Gold Coast to be turning up to play a game of junior football at 8 o'clock on a Friday night because there's already been a 6 o'clock game um, because it's so overused in the grounds. So all of these things feed into a dialogue of being recognised and being treated seriously and moving, you know, the whole game forward and... You, that there's no question now, and if you ask any of the people that have been up here for two or three months, that, that you can see it. It's, we, we're, we're on the road now. We're on the, 
trajectory of, of as I said, I, I really do see in the next 10 to 20 years, you know, we'll be a great uh, football state. We'll be producing, you know, 20, 25 names each year in the national draft. So, Tony, is Peter Volandis hits a tone that's dismissive, and I'm not sure anyone quite does derision quite like he does. Is he wrong in his read that this is just a, a momentary fling? Well, you know, the only problem with having a loud mouth and, and flying out there with big statements is, unless you can keep delivering on it, eventually everybody sees through it, and I think they've already, you know, seen through this one. I mean, he can make those sort of wise-ass cracks. Here's a fact. We had two Victorian sides make it to the grand final, and because they both had extinguished all of their uh, ticket sales to their Queensland members, the AFL on Tuesday morning were left with a nearly nearly 9,000 roughly ticket sales left between average price of probably around $400 per ticket. That's really testing the market in Brisbane. Um, and guess what? They sold out in 19 minutes. Um, so you can make out that this is just a passing fad. You can make out that this just doesn't have longevity to it. But I'd refer him to go and have a look at the uh, media coverage this year and the TV numbers. Um, not only on Fox, but the TV numbers on Channel 7 throughout this year. We've consistently in Queensland beaten the NRL by between 15 and 30% in the ratings every time we've been up against each other. And Tony, just with the Gold Coast, obviously your, your passion up there, I, mean, I guess player retention and the go-home factor has always been lurking in the background there for you and obviously historically with the Brisbane Lions at times as well. The fact that the competition has been based there and the players have lived there for a fair portion of this season, what does that do for you in terms of you perhaps being a destination club in the eyes of so many more players out there? Well, I never thought I'd thank the Chinese for too much, but I'm thankful that... Uh Perhaps they did start this virus because in one foul swoop, they've solved two of my biggest issues that, you know, certainly I and others have fought up here for ages. And that is because the whole competition was up here, all the players, from if you ask any player from any team, firstly, they've all gone, wow, what a stunning weather to train in in our winter uh, and how magnificent are our beaches, our golf courses. They can go out, have a coffee. They don't get harassed. They can just live a normal life. So that's point number one that's been illustrated firsthand to the entire competition. The second point that's been illustrated firsthand to the entire competition is all the crap about our facilities aren't up to standard because I think if you ask any player now who's been training or seen our gym and seen all our, our TNA facilities, our three practice grounds that we've got at the Sun, they're all going, holy hell, these guys have got a fantastic setup. What's all this rubbish about, you know, they don't have... the decent facilities so we've um we've we've won a lot of people over in that process and we've gone from being a club 12 months ago who you know there were smart asses commentating we should have been shipped off to Wagga Wagga or Tasmania or somewhere else who are now saying I totally get the big picture in the Gold Coast and I I see the future and I see what they've done I see the 550 million they've created in their hub and Metricon Stadium and, uh, you know, we've just had the pleasure at that stadium of hosting 46 games of AFL this year, which is the same as what the MCG does in a normal year. So, you know, I think we've ticked a few boxes. I think we might have shut up a few critics. Uh, well, I certainly hope so. And, um, you know, I think we're on the road. Tony, it's great to have you on. Tell me, what makes <laughs> you most nervous about tonight, these hours out? 
uh, uh, the rain. Yeah. If you've got one thing, rain in a 70-piece orchestra, don't do it. Um, <laughs> How many weather rain. apps have you got on that phone of yours, Tony? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm ringing the bum. The, the guy at the bum thinks I'm a lunatic. It's the most important to and that's true. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm driving the Bureau crazy with updates every hour, and uh, I'm like a nervous parent waiting for the <laughs> child to be born. Tony, you've done a sterling job on behalf of the game and your state. I hope it's everything you dream of tonight. Oh, thanks, and thanks for all your support, everybody. We really appreciate it up here, and let's just hope we deliver a stunning grand final that everybody remembers for many years. Brilliant. Tony Tony, Cochran with us tonight. So he's been an instrumental part. As he described it, he's got his fingerprints all over the scene of the murder. (laughs) It's a glorious murder too. The Wagga Wagga Suns, that's got a nice ring to it. So a reimagined version of the grand final and put to bed once and for all the issue around the starting time. That's that's Tony's dreams for tonight, which does give us a few minutes just to talk legacy. So I, I think in the immediate aftermath, Kane, you have flagged this, there'll be the... What will last out of what we've lived through this year? So I asked Gil on Wednesday morning and he immediately went to, will they roll the fixture out all in one go? And he made it sound like we won't be doing that anymore. Clearly the the length of the game is going to be longer than it is this year, but shorter than it had got to. And it feels like it's going to land at 18 minutes. My hope that is Thursday nights becomes a permanent part of our fixture, but that's that's my belief. What, what do you think the legacy of all of this will be, Kane? We, we won't just snap back to the way things were. No, and nor should we, I don't think. I think there'll be a lot more flexibility in the imaginations of the AFL and also much more adaptability from a player's point of view. I mean, players can get pretty set in their ways that they, they must travel the day before a game. Well, mm. do you need to travel the day of a game anymore? No. Do you, do you need to know... Who you're playing in in seven weeks' time? Probably, probably not. Um, so th- there's all that. I do, you know, I do sympathise with the s- supporters, particularly those interstate supporters as well, who like to you know have the fixture out pretty early and plan you know which couple of away uh, fixtures they can go to and you know planning all of that. So you know there are some negatives that come with rolling out a fixture in a, in a month or every six weeks or whatever it is, but. On the whole, I just think more flexibility from players being able to adapt to, you know, if there's a period for two weeks where we just want to crunch some games out on four-day breaks, I think the players will be open to that. And so I just think, um, you know, and footy clubs, what what will footy clubs look like now with, with less coaches, less resources? Um, is Are we going to you know, really increase the workload of the assistant coaches now or are they going to be a bit more flexible with the hours that the coaches are are willing to work so there's a whole host of things that will change some definitely for the good but I still think some um, some for the bad that will strain footy clubs who are pretty demanding on their staff and now there's less staff which will have an impact I think as well I'll almost be underwhelmed, Jared, if we go back to the way things were. For me, to be an anti-climax. I think some things have to remain. We've discovered some great things here. I want to see a compressed fixture as well at some point. Make it a school holiday extravaganza where you have your, even you mentioned Thursdays, you have your Wednesdays, you have your Tuesday, you have your Monday. Let's have a school holiday extravaganza. I like 18 minutes. That's not a popular comment to make. But again, six-day breaks used to be frowned upon. That's like an eternity now. Think of the possibilities of what the AFL can do. And when they released those fixtures this year, they were like an event in themselves. Think of all the eyeballs that they attracted just at the release of a fixture block. I think it's opened up a whole heap of possibilities for next year. Yes, is that that's... I know people like the comfort in the way things were and the like, but I've spoken to numerous people involved in the game who are all of the view that... It would be so disappointing just to just to slack back 
uh, and and waste all the the creativity and imagination and urgency and necessity that's been in this mm. year just to try to cherry pick what the best of it is. So I've probably held a view for a long time is this is the evolved VFL competition. It's time to actually become the modern AFL competition. And there's a few things that have happened this year which that would have taken years to get to oh, because people aren't yeah. brave enough and there was so there's so much resistance to any thought of it that that gives us something better mm. um for the future. And and the difficulties that Kane rightly identifies around the contraction of you can't unlearn what you've learned. So I do think at clubs this will be a really difficult phase is there won't be a lessening in the workload while there's a lessening in the staff. Yeah, they no, won't no give way. up on that. So I think that part of it is very real and we need to have a uh, a sympathy towards that and I don't know what the best way to go about it is and each club has to try to do that but um, y- yeah y- you can't just go oh we'll, we'll give up on this part of the game that we learnt and we tried to perfect because we don't have the staff anymore it's just not how it will work yeah. well the biggest elephant in the room of course uh, many weeks and months into the future is do the clubs play out of here next year do we get people back to the game do, do we have teams Travelling in and out of their home states. I mean, or are we going to have to hub again? I mean, all these questions we can't answer yet. That is the biggest issue. That, that will shape the whole year. And the AFL are working through all that at the moment. Yep. How many people will be there when the season starts at the oh. MCG? Will it be 25,000? Will it be 50,000? I think we're clearly being told it, it won't be 80,000. Uh, and it'll be a while before we get to 100,000. So tonight, the promise of the first night grand final, and Tony Cochran sets it up vividly and emotionally for us. It really is something to look forward to. And then the game itself, Richmond and Geelong, a true heavyweight encounter featuring some of the great storylines we've seen in a premiership decider for many a year and the superstars of the game as well. We're going to stretch a little more broadly next. Sam Edmund has his finger on the pulse of all that's happening in trades. We'll... We've divided them into three categories. We do like a category when it comes to (laughs) trades. We're going to do that next and get Kane to sit in judgment of some of what's coming. That's on Crunch Time for Clean Away. Up your disposal efficiency with Clean Away. Jared Waitley, Kane Corns is in Brisbane for it and Sam Edmonds in the studio. So as we just pop the grand final to to the side for a moment, uh, for every other club, attention has turned... Well, in fact, even for at least one of those in the grand final, (laughs) acutely to the trade period and free agency, which has created such debate during the week. We thought we'd cast an eye across everything that's happening and everything that's been hinted at and a little bit that we might be suspicious of as well and get Kane to sit in judgment on the manoeuvres that are taking place. And Sam Edmund, who I must say, Sam, you do an utterly brilliant job keeping up with what's going on behind (laughs) the scenes every day. I'm amazed how much you're able to glean categories. So we're yep. going to do the intended. You've so given that's me some homework. Yep. The middle ground is what we suspect is going to happen. But the really fertile ground is the stuff that's been hinted at. The great intrigue. The great intrigue. As you turn. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the great intrigues. Okay. Kane, don't you reckon? Let's do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. All right, then. Well, let, let's start with Adam Trelaw, who's probably uh, the mayor of, of the intrigue category through no fault of his own. And to be honest, guys, it's getting a bit messy now. My reading of it at the moment is that Collingwood want Trelaw to make the first move. They desperately want his contract off the books. Now, this contract is until 2025. It's back-ended, and it's huge in the back-end. I mean, my understanding is it's at around 900000 a season at the back-end. This is obviously all pre-COVID. The Pies only re-signed him last year to this deal. Now, Collingwood... <laughs> The best way to put it almost is Collingwood want the murder committed, but they don't want to pull the trigger. Now, I think the Pies would love a narrative whereby 
natural law almost instigates talks with a rival club so that it becomes that narrative and it's perhaps seen as Adam Trelaw wants out. But as it stands now, I don't believe that to be the case. I mean, there might be a tipping point. You might argue this would come for anyone, Kane, whereby they think, stuff it, I'll, I'll play for a club where I'm wanted. But that's not the case at the moment. I mean, Adam Trelaw is as resolute now, my understanding is, as when he spoke with uh, you, Jared, on AFL 360. I mean, he's thinking day one of pre-season, but I think that scenario might even petrify Collingwood's list management team at the moment. So it's a situation, uh, Kane, that is the source of widespread curiosity and even bewilderment amongst list managers across the competition. And with that contract, Collingwood almost certainly have to contribute a chunk of his salary for him to play elsewhere. It's crazy. It would, it would be a huge shock if there was a club out there who could fork out for it in its entirety. The Suns have picked five and would love him. But Trelaw doesn't want to play up there, despite his partner Kim Revalian, obviously, and daughter Georgie temporarily relocating up there from January onwards for that 10-month netball contract with the Firebirds. So we watch and we wait with great intrigue, Kane. Yeah, we do. If I, I've got some sympathy for, for Adam Trelaw here. And if I was him, I'd be really digging my heels in. He's clearly wanting to stay at Collingwood. He said that publicly. Now, now players and clubs say things publicly that they probably don't mean throughout trade period. We've seen a lot of um, history of that. But, you know, he does look genuine that he made a move to Collingwood because he wants to play for the Pies, big Victorian club in the premiership window on big money with four years to go. So, so why would he leave? Why would he want to go to Gold Coast just because there's some murmurs that the club doesn't want him and as much as that cuts your ego he's got a contract there he doesn't have to do anything he could ring up Nathan Buckley today and say Bucks oh I'm hearing the talk but I'm staying so so don't even think about putting my name up for trade because you have to get me to agree to it and I'm not I want to stay here I want to win a premiership here you've given me a contract I want to honour that contract and I'm not going anywhere so Mm. Trelaw can end this now Adam Trelaw can end it now through his management through himself if he wants to and say look Oh, I hear the speculation and um, I understand it. I understand it's a business, but I'm really happy at Collingwood and I am going to fulfill the last four years of my contract and I'm not going anywhere. And then the debate stops. There's just so many balls up in the air there, Jared. Obviously, Tom Phillips has been told he's up for trade. That was a pretty decent contract. Good player, Tom Phillips. I think six in the in the best and fairest of the year they made the grand final and seventh the year after. Mason Cox hit a pretty lucrative trigger as well to play on. Brody Grundy's on a million dollars a season for seven years. Darcy Moore just signed it between eight and 850 for the next two. So the cap is so super tight there, and they seem to be deficient inside 50. And they haven't re-signed Brody Mycheck yet, who might have some interest from GWS. So... They're miles apart on money as well. So they've got a few issues to sort out Collingwood at the moment. It does, and all of their issues were foreseeable. This is the bit that boggles my mind with that. But what about the Dugowie scenario? Ongoing. Jordan Dugowie still hasn't re-signed. We know that. Um, he was uh, put out there in the marketplace to rival clubs. Um, that was instigated by his old man, by his father, Roger. And there's not much substance to Carlton. There never has been. I mean, it all points to him staying at Collingwood. Um, I think we've said that right the way through. And it all points to him staying at Collingwood on a far less lucrative contract than he would have commanded, obviously, pre-COVID, but back when he was having uh, a better spell of form. And he's a long way away from what we saw in 2018. We've seen flickers. But for the sort of dollars that he was commanding, you want to see the the dots joined up a little bit more often, don't you? So I think he stays, and maybe it's a two-year deal. Okay. Who's the deputy mayor of Intrigue City? <laughs> I think, well, there's a few. I think Clayton Oliver's been interesting. Jaden Stevenson as well. There's quite a few. I think Jesse Hogan is another one who's up for grabs. Just with Jesse, Fremantle have told clubs that he's available and gettable for a trade. But whether those clubs are willing to go there is the question we can't answer at the moment. I'm told GWS will ask the question. 
to sound out Jesse Hogan as to whether he would want to come over east or whether they themselves are rock solid in pursuing that um, like they will my check, as I say. So 25 years of age, age Jesse, got there from Melbourne two years ago, pretty lucrative three-year deal, of course. He's really struggled to make an impact there. Foot injury, mental health battle as well. So 19 games, 18 goals. He's a curious case. What's Are you still resolute, Kane, that there there should be a prominent place for Jesse Hogan? Yeah, whether it's a prominent place or whether it's a, a last chance, I just think supply and demand. There's not many key forwards on the market. How many left? Ben Brown, Jesse Hogan. You know, you, you could argue McDonald's a key forward, but I probably wouldn't put him in that category. And there's probably eight clubs that need one. So with that becomes, I think a club will will take a, a chance on him. And if I, I, I don't know his his issues off the field, I've got no idea. But clearly there are some. But if he goes to a club with a strong environment and if he understands this is absolutely my last chance, you you may get three or four good seasons out of a player who is young enough and still has the ability. And he showed it this year through through stages. He kicked four goals in a game has a little bit left in the tank for a club that has a strong culture. Clayton Oliver, I mentioned, um, Jared. The intrigue around him has dimmed somewhat, but the restlessness was real from the player himself. Now, Eddie said that he's something of a high-maintenance character. He's a passionate player. We know how good he is, 23 years of age, dual All-Australian. The, 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 the queue to sign him would be long. It did. There was some... There was some fact there in the fact that he was unhappy, but there's a big bridge between being unhappy and then putting in a trade request. He's contracted at Melbourne, so no one's saying he's going to do that. But there were a few talks on the periphery around him, Peps, um, considering a move elsewhere, going back a little period of time. But he stays, and with that massive re-signing of Jack Viney for five years as well. So this time next year will be really interesting at Melbourne when you consider the players that that are coming out of contract. I think Petraka is one of those, and, and Clayton Oliver will be one of those as well. What sort of season do Melbourne have, and where do those star players see themselves and the future of Melbourne? They need the answer to that, Kane, don't they? And the players who are they're culpable for the performance that's put in is, um, I'd be aghast if Oliver left at the moment, is they have to find out what comes next, and then everyone can make their decisions. They, they couldn't honestly know, I don't think. No, it's running out of chances, though, isn't it? At uh, Melbourne, the, the the moves continue off field, and Adam Uze comes in as as another saviour. After I, I thought they'd reviewed that and, and brought in Alan Richardson and Darren Burgess to the footy department last year, so everything points to it being Simon Goodwin's last chance. And I guess the um, the hold up to that has been his contract. But now we're sort of reading that. Each coach has a six-month payout clause rather than you have to guarantee the full amount. So, look, it's a massive year for Simon Goodwin and he would want to keep Clayton Oliver. If you're the coach of Melbourne and your career's on the line, you're not trading out your best ball winner. But equally, the mix in that midfield hasn't been right and they just haven't been able to get that right. That's why I was surprised that they handed Jack Viney five years. I would have thought he was a player that was possibly um, expendable and they could have got a different mix in there be it a, you know, an Isaac Smith. I know they're probably still down that path a little bit, Sam, as well. But, um, yeah, the mix hasn't been right in that midfield. Yeah, well, Isaac probably takes us, Jared, into their suspected category. I think we all suspect he is leaving Hawthorne. No official decision there. We know Geelong are interested, but Melbourne are the front runners. I'm not sure Isaac wants to play his football down at Geelong. It could be proven horribly wrong with that. I think um, Melbourne have expressed a keenness there, a long way out from the finishing post. They are, have got something of an obsession with finding the ideal wingers. Tom Phillips now being available, they might go down a more youthful pass, but, path, but given Adam Tomlinson came as a wingman when he's clearly not, he's been 
reshuffle down to the, the back half, which is why the likes of Oscar McDonald doesn't have a home going forward as well from Melbourne. So I think they need a spot. They've got Langdon on one. They've dangled a pretty nice... Um, well, a, a relatively long-term contract in front of Isaac Smith at his age that is causing him uh, some angst to make a decision, but still none yet. And Tom McDonald, with Ben Brown almost oh, certain to arrive now as well at Melbourne. He's done the medical there. He's met with the club a couple of times. Virtually, of course, has Ben Brown. I think he gets to Melbourne. And then what does that mean for Tom McDonald, who has two years to run on a contract there? He was up for grabs anyway if a, if a suitor emerged that was going to um, absorb that contract, which is relatively lucrative given he signed it when he was flying in 2018, Tom McDonald. He has been discussed at GWS as well. So clearly GWS want to, in the in the wake of losing Jeremy Cameron, they want to put something in the, inside that Ford 50 area, whether it is Brody Mycheck, whether it is um, someone like Tom McDonald who they've discussed, or whether they do actually approach Jesse Hogan, as I've been told they will, they want to put something someone in that position. What about Dugowie? Would they would they have a serious crack at Dugowie now? I haven't heard anything about that. But no, either have I, but I'm just, just trying to link the two to get a, a star out, and he's not Jeremy yep. Cameron, is he? Jordan Dugowie, I know that there comes with, with issues as well. But similar price, you would imagine, I reckon, for Dugowie. Not that I'd pay Jordan Dugowie the same as I'd pay Cameron, but he's beyond a good wicket and capable of kicking you know 45 goals if you played him as a genuine forward. And then he does get you some match-winning ability into that forward line. There's a name that the Giants perhaps could look to yep. mitigate some of the damage that has happened um, in the last week or so. Well, they've certainly got the money, Jared. Uh, GWS, as unfortunate it is for them. There could be as many as seven departures there. Three of them big names in uh, Jeremy Cameron, um, Zach Williams. Or they're the two biggest ones, I suppose. But then they're, they're kids as well with Jai Coldwell leaving and... Um, uh, Hately going to Adelaide as well. They might still lose Xavier O'Halloran. They could lose their first three picks in the 2018 draft as well. Yeah, and you made such a good point yesterday, Kane, around the premature movement of young players for big dollars. And, mm. you, I mean, I, I agree with you entirely. It's not free agency that's the issue here. Is I, I think I think you really hit on something yesterday. So three-year contract, Kane, or more? No, I just think there needs... I don't have the exact... Um, formula, but something like where if you draft a player, the club knows that you, you've got him for four years. So you might sign a, a two-year deal, which is what they do at the moment, with an option for the club to trigger. And the pushback has been, well, you can't lock in a player on a set wage for four years. Well, well absolutely, you can. Now, you factor it in with some clauses. If the player is in the top echelon, he's a top 10 pick, then the sliding scale goes up. But the clubs need to know that they have more than two years to back their system in to get that from a player that they draft. And we've seen it a number of times, dating back to Tom Scully and Jack Gunston and Jake Lever and yeah, Jackson Haightley leaving and now Jai Coldwell. You can't have players that put their name into the draft knowing that there is a real likelihood that they're going to be traded somewhere else, putting up their hand and leaving after two years, after 11 games. Like, Essendon are paying Coldwell 2.5. He's played 11 games. Like, it's just doing damage to clubs that have no possibility to plan for their future. Well, it's 450 a year just on that, Jared. So okay. it's four, uh, just for uh, okay. clarity's sake. So, yeah, I mean, it's still 450. Big, it's big down money. from 100. Okay. It's still pretty big money for a kid who's only played a handful of games. So I think you can treat first-round draft picks differently to the rest. So in what you've said, Kano, I think you can put, and you can actually jack the money right up because the first-round draft picks uh, have a far higher 
likelihood of panning out into good players than not. So what I know sometimes it gets interpreted, you fix the wage for the third year. You can fix it and you can actually make it a really good mm. wage. You mm. don't have to lowball mm. anybody in that. And the, the great misnomer of the week has been that free agency has anything to do with equalisation. Equalisation is the draft. So the more that you can do to protect the equalisation in the draft, which is what you're talking about for first round picks, particularly where they go away from home and not getting raided so early on, um, it, there's sense in it. I don't know. I'm not saying it's the answer, but there, there is there's sound sense in what you've put forward. But Kane, isn't it also true that you know I hate to utter the phrase, but back in your day, it was players, despite regardless of where they were drafted, were happy to do their apprenticeship. You know, you, you spend your two or three years in the Sandful or the VFL or wherever it might be, and interviewed Heath Shaw during the week, and he spent many a game down at Williamstown kicking the Jew off it. And I mean, players were seemingly happy to do that then. It was par for the course. Now, not so much. And you're right, and, and not only happy to do your apprenticeship um, through the lower levels, but happy to do your apprenticeship in terms of what you got paid. Like, you, you, you're more than willing to sit back for the first five, six years of your career and take minimum chips, knowing that the guys that have been there and done that before mm. are the ones that are going to get paid, and they're the ones that are going to decide whether you win or lose. Jai Coldwell's not going to decide whether Essendon win or lose next year. Let, let me guarantee you that. He, he may in, in four or five years' time, but he's not going to next year. The, the sense of entitlement from players, and I'm not blaming the players here, I'm more blaming the system and the clubs for having this lofted expectations of what young players get paid. And, and you can go back to you know the likes of Lockie Weller and players like that and the youngsters that they've paid at the Gold Coast to keep them. And the Gold Coast are on record of saying that. They said, well, we have to, otherwise they leave. That's not a viable system for me. And for whatever reason, players that have done nothing yet in the game... They may have some talent, expect to be paid way too much and, and way more than what they are worth. We'll go through the rest of Sam's categories in a moment. Richmond and Geelong fans evidently have flown to Brisbane via Darwin for the grand final. They'll have packed their gear in their Samsonite business bags. Work from anywhere with the Samsonite business bag. Our rapid fire questions on the trade period coming up on crunch time for Beaumont Tiles. Exclusive bathroom packages from Beaumont's four grand the lot and identify by specialising in asbestos mould, air quality and environmental services. Okay, so the intended's on a trade front. Sam, you bowl them up. Kane, you knock them down as to whether these are good ideas or not and who they favour. Rapid fire questions for Rapid Tune. They'll keep you moving. Rapidtune.com.au. Okay, so these are all the moves that have been declared so far, Kane. And there's four big, pretty big restricted free agent deals to be struck. And they all have the same tension points, and that is compensation and what they look like. So there's Jeremy Cameron to Geelong. We know there's Joe Danaher to Brisbane. There's Brad Crouch to St Kilda and Zach Williams to Carlton. How about we start with Jeremy Cameron now? Kane, the Giants would get pick 10 back as compensation. That's the widely held belief. But they want more than that. And I would have thought, correct me if I'm wrong, they're well within their rights to ask for far more than that. They are well within their rights and they're well within their rights to match it um, and, and try and do that. You know, it's, it's not dissimilar to when Dangerfield left Adelaide, though, is it? I, you know, it was about pick 10 that mm. the Crows got back with a, a later pick and, and Dean Gore, I think it was, who didn't equate to much at, at the Crows, clearly. So, you know, you never, I don't think, get true value or more often than not, you don't get true value for the player's worth and it's probably as similar as Dangerfield leaving Adelaide as, as, as Cameron leaving the Giants. Yeah, so Radigalier and Parfit taken off the table by the Cats, Jared. I mean, I think they've got to ask the question of all those guys on the periphery down there, whether it's Jordan Clark as well. I mean, unquestionably, he's worth two first-round picks. I mean, if Shield went out the door 
door at GWS for two first rounders. Adam Chalor as well. As, as good as those two players are, you know, key forwards like Jeremy Cameron don't grow on trees. John picks further down the order. It will be the ultimate question, though, than what you could get. Keep going. Okay, Joe Danaher to Brisbane. Essendon will demand a top 10 pick. Absolute, like, take that to the bank before they allow Joe Danaher to go to Brisbane. Now, the Bombers uh, also want a sweetener as well in the form of perhaps a later draft pick or a pick swap. And the club, they'll, they'll match the Lions' offer if, uh, if the contract that, that the Lions offer, and Essendon, to the best of my knowledge, haven't seen that yet, doesn't give them an end-of-first-round pick uh, or worse, rather. So if it's end-of-first-round pick or worse as compensation, Essendon are going to match it, Kane. Yeah, but then what happens, though, because Brisbane, oh, it's picked, what is it, 18 and 19, I yep. think they've got as it sits last time I, I said. So I'd be taking, if you can get a top 10 pick for him, I'd take a first round pick for Joe Danaher. I think it's unrealistic that Essendon should demand anything more than that, considering the output of Joe for the last three years and the issues with, that he's got with his body. And to finish, there's a lot of intrigue around Brad Crouch to St Kilda in your part of the world, Adelaide, of what compensation they get, because they've got the number one pick. There's a big difference between the Crows getting the number two pick pick and then an end of first round pick when it comes to the top two compensation bands. Yeah, they can't expect pick two for Brad Crouch and I think the AFL will want to do everything they can to protect North Melbourne. North Melbourne are in a much more severe mess than what Adelaide are in so for the AFL then to send them one pick back in the draft, I think that's unlikely to happen and yeah, a bit surprised that St Kilda are willing to offer five years for Brad Crouch. It's a ridiculous offer for a player that's averaged 11 games uh, per season over eight seasons and has off-field issues so Really surprised by that from the Saints, and it, it reeks a little bit of desperation to me for St Kilda. So their recruiting's been good up until this point. And they'll keep you moving with their huge range of services. Book online at rapidtune.com.au. The rapid fire trade questions. Kane, can't wait for tonight. We'll talk to you from the Gabba a little later on. Chat then, guys. Look forward to it. Sam, awesome work. Thanks for guiding us through all of that. Thanks for having me, Alf Brown, for the third time. (laughs) Absolute pleasure. All right, the grand final tonight. Enjoy your afternoon. We'll be back for the call. This has been crazy. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Lunch time for Beaumont Tiles exclusive bathroom packages from Beaumont's foreground the lot and Identifibus specialising in asbestos mould, air quality and environmental services. Go Russian Camelot.